Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara, sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate Services. Hi, I'm Sharon McNamara, and you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. Let me share a little bit about my background before we get started. I am the broker owner of Boston Connect Real Estate, a boutique real estate firm that is home to over 30 real estate sales and marketing consultants who service home buyers and home sellers throughout Boston, the South Shore, the South Coast, and Cape Cod. Our firm takes pride in assisting our clients in the next chapter of their lives by taking a holistic approach to their real estate endeavors. We believe that every move should be a moving experience. Every week, my real estate team member, Mary Baker, and I, along with the director of Boston Connect Real Estate, Melissa Wallace, provide you with our unique marketing approach to selling homes and share with you our expertise in navigating the home buying process. We like to mix it up sometimes, so not only will you hear our perspective on real estate topics, but you will hear the expert thoughts and opinions of some of our real estate agents at Boston Connect Real Estate and the preferred professionals that we trust. Be part of our roundtable. If you have any questions during the show, please call 781-837-4900. We'd love to talk real estate. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts at Talk Real Estate Roundtable. If you would like a one-on-one consultation with me and my team or one of the dedicated agents at Boston Connect Real Estate to discuss your real estate needs, you can connect with us at bostonconnect.com or 781-826-8000. Now, sit back, relax, take good notes, and let's talk real estate. And good evening to all my South Shore neighbors. You are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. And boy, do we have a really interesting show for you guys tonight. I am Mary Baker, and I am somehow being left alone to do this tonight. So we're going to see how this goes. But fortunately enough, I do have a co-host with me, actually two co-hosts technically and a guest. Um, I'm joined in studio tonight with Sam Horton, full-time real estate agent at Boston Connect and also happens to be my soon-to-be husband, (laughs) too soon-to-be. Um, and Christian Carter. Um, Christian is the owner of Gunhild Property Solutions and a loan officer at Radius Financial Group. So hi, guys. Hi. Thanks hey. for having us. You're yeah. going to keep me on track tonight. You're going to make sure this is a really good show that everybody can take and listen to and get some good knowledge out of, right? Yeah, as long as someone gets a, a just at least one nugget out of tonight, I think it'll be a good thing. Okay, so. we like that. So, Sam, first off, I'm going to have you. I know you've been on the show with me before, but I'm going to have you introduce yourself, tell a little bit about yourself, and then we'll move on to Christian. And then you guys can tell your love story after that. How about that? <laughs> um, so my name's Sam Horton. I'm a realtor at Boston Connect. I've been here for about eight or nine years now. Um, I've been in the real estate industry for a little bit longer than that. Um, and over the past year, I started to get into real estate investing. And that's kind of what led us here tonight. Awesome. How about you, Christian? All right. I am uh, Christian Carter. I'm a mortgage loan officer with Radius Financial Group, and that's kind of how... Technically, I got started into real estate and investing and things like that. How long have you been a lender? Oh, man. Six or seven years. Nice. Ish. Okay. Give or take. That's that's a decade. That's a lifetime in real estate. Right. Um, yeah, but uh, I loved, uh, surprisingly, I loved the mortgage side of the business and then uh, just got into real estate investing from there and uh, started Gunhild Property Solutions. We have about seven rental properties right now. Awesome. So... And how, okay. when did you start Gunhild? I'm just curious. I mean, technically, uh, that was five years ago. Okay. So pretty soon after getting into lending, you went right into real estate investing. Yeah, because they kind of went hand in hand. Okay. You know, so. So 
Thanks for the introductions, but that leads us into, so we're talking tonight, we're going to be talking about practical ways that you can find and analyze and secure your first investment property. I have a feeling you guys are going to go a little bit off topic after (laughs) first, but we're going to try and stick on topic with your first investment property. Um, How did you guys meet? Because um, I'm very, I, I like, I like so the story. If we can plug it, um, we are co-hosts along with Jack Dalrymple. I'm going to slur his last name. Yeah. Sorry, sorry if you're listening, Jack. Um, but we co-host a real estate meetup here at Boston Connect, uh, the third Thursday of every month. The next one is actually January 19th. Uh, starts at six o'clock. So if you are interested in tonight, please come by um, and maybe learn something. Um, and that is how Christian and I met. So Jack and Christian started the group, and I kind of weaseled my way in there, and now the three of us run it. Well, I remember when you he used to tell me, so like randomly on a either probably a Thursday night, if it's always been the first Thursday of, or a Thursday of the month, third Thursday of the month, um, he would say, you know, I'm going to a real estate meetup, um, babe, I'll see you later. And then he would come back at like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was like, did you really talk real estate that whole entire time? <laughs> the entire time? time. He, was, he was like, you know, the first four hours were really fun. I got a lot out of it. I've made some really cool friends. And then we kind of had fun with it. So it seems like it's a fun group of guys to guys and ladies, sorry, yes. um, to hang out with. Um, and so tonight, if you guys have any questions, you can pipe in. We have George in studio. You can call 781-837-4900. Feel free to ask us any questions. These two guys are a wealth of information, and I'm just going to kind of let them lead the show when it comes to talking about real estate investing, right? All right, let's get into it, you guys. So what's our first line? What's our first topic here? Uh, well, finding it. And I don't know if you want to take it off on setting your goals for like what specifically you're looking for i guess yeah ab- absolutely um if we can if you don't mind if we can just back up one real quick it'll yeah, just go. take me probably like a minute to cover um and it's kind of like the reasons why to buy a rental property absolutely right? as opposed to another asset class or something like that yeah um and i like to break it down into pretty much four different categories two that i mainly focus on and two are kind of icing on the cake okay um so the first two are going to be cash flow and loan pay down okay cash flow is pretty simple you know, you make a certain amount of money per month or per year off the rental property. Um, what goes hand in hand with that is loan pay down. So everyone yep. knows a 30-year fixed mortgage, right? Every month, every year, you're paying your loan down more and more and more. Um, so you're building up your equity. Okay. So as we kind of move in, you know, move through this conversation, I always focus on cash flow and loan pay down because I really like those two. Uh, the two icing on the cake, I don't I don't put these into my numbers, but they are really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. And that is appreciation and then tax benefits. So appreciation, obviously your home is typically worth more and more every year. Um, you know, there's a little, It's a long game. Yeah. I've learned that from yes, Sam. Exactly. It's a long game. So There was a little hiccup in the 2008 era, but okay. uh, for the most part, uh, you know, appreciation. Um, and then the tax benefits, most, uh, most importantly, depreciation. So that, that money that you're making, you know, every month or every year, uh, you get to write off a good portion of it and get to keep just about all of it. Uh, okay. Again, I'm not a CPA. I'm not going to talk taxes, but... <laughs> Uh, I hear, don't you guys have a CPA coming to your meetup? Yeah, the next meetup will be Chris Nash talking about how to pay the government less with your rental properties. So, so when we talk about tax benefits for investment yes. properties, you guys cover, <laughs> kind of cover all the bases. Um, and speaking towards appreciation, that's why they say, right, buy real estate and wait. Right. You know, so It's a get rich slow scheme. Yep. As opposed to your Bitcoin. You know, I'm crypto. slow and steady, so I, yep. I like that. I'm not, I, I don't do fast and furious. I don't, I don't like any of that. Not a, I'm risk averse. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so when you're t- what reasons to buy so you have four really good reasons to buy a rental property here and i feel like i always hear the first house that people should be buying when you're thinking as a first-time home buyer really should be an investment property and that's kind of well we're, when we're talking appreciation and cash flow to set yourself up to buy the next property correct Right. I, I would say so. Yeah, I think there's a lot of first-time home buying options for obviously first-time home buyers. So for them to take advantage of that in an investment capacity, that way they can kind of double down, and then the next buy can be their primary residence if they want. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of how I got started too. So I I bought my first home in uh, Carver in 2010. Um, and I, I love Carver. I love Carver. My my wife and I, I love we, Carver. We love it. Um, but yeah, long story short, we couldn't afford anything, so yeah. we bought the crummiest house we could mm-hmm. in 2010, which was, looking back, a pretty good time Nowhere to, to go but up. Exactly. Uh, fixed the property up, and then four years later, when we were deciding to move, it was like, hey, why don't we just kind of rent this thing out and see how it goes? Nice. Um, and that's kind of how we got bitten by the bug, and that's how we've been moving on ever did, since then. Did you buy a multifamily in 2010, or was it? No, I wish I did, though. If See, I could go back, I would buy a three-family or a four-family for the first two or three properties. He, so Sam, he says it all the time. I'm going to throw him under the bus. Um, he's like, if we could do it all over again, mm-hmm. and even we kind of went for the forever house first, and now we're backtracking towards the investment route, which is a little bit more difficult to do. Yeah. Um, but that's where we're talking first-time home buyers. It's probably, if you're interested in investing and um, you are a first-time home buyer, buying a multifamily is probably the quickest way to start to build equity and build wealth, right? Totally agree. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm 100%. stealing the show from you guys. I know, right? There you <laughs> go. You already know. You can teach it. No, not really. <laughs> okay, so are, we have our four reasons, and then how... So there are four benefits anyway. How would you go towards starting to find the ideal rental property or investment property? Want me to take it? Or yeah, you? You go ahead. You were about to talk. Well, you go ahead. You All go right. Ahead. Just cut me off whenever. <laughs> um, yeah, so essentially, so finding the real uh, the rental property or finding, you know, that, that, that piece of real estate, I would just try and, like, any advice that I would give is just to try and be as specific as possible. So what like do you look... with what you're looking for? Exactly. Okay. So like we were talking about before, are you a first-time home buyer uh, looking to buy a three-family uh, in Plymouth that needs a little bit of cosmetic work? Or are you, you know, more, you know, let's say you're maybe later on in life and you've got a good amount of money saved up, whether it's in a 401k or, you know, through a home equity line of credit or something like that. And you're looking to buy a mixed use property like laundry facilities in the bottom, apartments up top. Just be as specific as possible um, in what you're looking to do. And that goes as well as like, are you looking for a fixer upper property? Or are you looking for a turnkey property, maybe Mm -hmm. something new construction that you're not going to have to worry about for the first 10 years or so? Yeah. So that would be, you know, kind of kind of find your buying criteria and really kind of kind of narrow down on what exactly it is you're looking for. I'd agree with that if I can just add a little bit. Um, I mean, you can even break it down to like like you were saying, a flip. Do you want to do a long-term rental, a mid-term rental, which is kind of a newer thing now, which is putting um, like executives in short-term housing, uh, traveling nurses, things of that nature. And then you can do short-term, Airbnb, VRBO, et cetera. Um, and it's kind of defining, like you said, what attracts you the most, what you think you can manage the most, because they all have different degrees of like management skill if you're going to self-manage. Um, and of course, if you're going to use a manager, you have to run that into your numbers, which we'll get into later. 
So earlier when Christian had first come in, I was like, don't be too, I was reading our agenda and I was like, don't be too specific. And I was like, oh, what, what is that specifically supposed to mean? And now as we're talking about it, I'm like, you really do kind of have to be very, very specific because I feel as if there's so many different spokes in the wheel that you could go down from a rental standpoint that it's almost like information overload. If you don't know what you're looking for, you'll never find that deal because you're just too kind of all over the place. And I, and I think you'll drive other people crazy too. Like whether drive you, me crazy. Yeah, well, if, that's what I was going to say. If you're using <laughs> if you're using a realtor, and you yeah. know you tell your realtor like, well, I'm just looking for any kind of deal. Yeah. Just send like, come on, you, you know, you need to. You, you need to you, do the basic research the to kind of understand research. what, to Sam's point, what you can really manage and mm-hmm. what you want to take on, and then I guess there's so many. I could go even further and say, okay, well, how do you know what you can take on? Right. As a first-time home buyer, truthfully, like, mm-hmm. one, where are you getting the funds potentially to buy this three-family in Plymouth, maybe, mm-hmm. so that you can rent out? How are you achieving that goal? And what am I looking for? Yep. And we'll get into that later. Okay. Later on the show. Am I jumping ahead? You are. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm excited. Remember, it's find, analyze, and secure. So that okay, would so go under the secure. Finding. We're finding. <laughs> finding. Okay. We're still in finding. All right. So we're being specific. Yeah. Okay. What's next? So I guess if we're moving down kind of the agenda here, um, and I brought it up quickly, like who who is going to help you find this property? Um, are you going to use a realtor? And if so, again, I guess, it, you know, you don't want to be as specific as possible with all these. But, like, I would just say if you're going to use a realtor, you know, again, just say I'm looking for a three-family for, you know, I'm just throwing out numbers here, but I'm looking for a three-family, 400 grand or less yep. in this area. doesn't have to be brand new. It can be you know, some little cosmetic updates and things like that. Um, or are you, you know, are you using a wholesaler, which essentially, you know, we all see those signs, uh, webuyuglyhouses.com. We sure do. Oh, yeah, or it's the, like we buy cash. Yes, yes, exactly. On the telephone poles. Yep. Are you, are you, are you going through a wholesaler? Cause you can, you can frustrate a wholesaler easily too, by just saying, you know, oh, just send me deals. And the wholesaler is like, well, what are you, what, what are you is look, a deal? What is you? a yeah. deal? Are you yeah. looking for a commercial property? Are you looking for self-storage? Are you looking for a flip? Yeah, there's so many different options. Yeah, and how do you define it? So Yeah, how do you define it? Makes sense. Um, and then uh, I guess I wanted to throw this in as far as like, as far as finding. Um, as far as wholesalers, you know, you see a lot of those bandit signs on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. We buy houses cash. I always like to take a picture of those as I'm driving by. And I'll either call them or I'll text them and say, look, I'm not, I'm not looking to sell my home, but you're obviously a wholesaler, right? And they're yeah. like, they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, can you add me to your to your distro list, your email distro? That's list? a really good idea. Yeah. That's a really good idea because you're kind of. I I feel like in order to find the deal that you're looking for, you probably have to talk to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and you probably have to have a lot of connections and be on somebody's list to reach out to. Like, how do you know? That's what your networking group is kind of all about. Absolutely. You know what? Are, what are we all looking for? What do we have? You know. Mm-hmm. And just to piggyback on that, you know, not just talk, not just talking to those wholesalers, but talking to people you work with, yeah. family members, friends, um, just saying, hey, I'm looking for, we keep going back to the first time home buyer because it's kind of easy, but like, yeah. hey, I'm looking for my first home. If you know of anyone selling, you know, I, I, I can only afford this much, but I'm willing to put in some sweat equity and things like that. Yeah. Just talking with people and telling them what you're looking for, okay. you know. 
Yeah, uh, I agree with all that. I actually had as one of my talking points is talk to people, TTP. Mm-hmm. Just tell oh, people. Oh, I was going to say, you literally just said that to me the other day, and I go, what, TP? What? TTP, <laughs> talk to people. Uh, it's actually a wholesaler that's like actually, def- I guess, uses that acronym with his business, but I love it, and I hear it all the time, and it's just the same thing. It's just telling people what you're interested in, what you're looking to do, and you'll be surprised by, you know, maybe the first 20 people are like, cool, great, but then the 21st person's like, oh, well, actually, you know, my grandmother's selling her two family. It's in Whitman. I don't know if you'd be interested, and then you go check it out. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just talking to people. And if I can add a couple others, it might be to talk to other real estate professionals, kind of like uh, divorce attorneys, maybe even lenders. Mm-hmm. Um, I like con- that you just quantified a divorce attorney, a real estate professional. I mean, I guess not a real estate <laughs> professional. In that no, sense, but, but in, a professional in, the, in theory, divorce yeah. attorneys will potentially connect you with a real estate professional. So Correct. having having a yeah. connection there, I totally get. But I was like, oh, are we putting real estate and divorce hand in hand? I hope not, because that's <laughs> no. that's well, you, you could also not piggyback morbid. and say estate, yeah. estate reps, estate attorneys, uh, condo HOAs, um, because they deal with the evictions uh, yeah. or foreclosures of anyone not like paying a management their, company potentially. Yep, management company is mm-hmm. another good source. So those are just kind of out there ideas, but. Again, talk to people, tell people what you're Building relationships. In. Yeah, and, and nurture that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. If I can add one more thing. You can I add. I mean, this quiet. is your show, you guys, so you can add everything. Um, you can piggyback and add all you want. <laughs> so I'm sure you guys have seen those little door hangers. Um, oh, yeah. They're like so they the go over the doorknob. Rectang- yeah, yep. the rectangle thing with the little like cutout. Like from the oil company. Yeah, you yeah. get from like you, your oil bill goes there. So um, what I like to do, too, is I keep about anywhere from 50 to 100 of those um, in my truck. And if I'm driving by a property that looks distressed or, you know, needs a little bit of TLC, obviously, you know, grass is long in the front yard and things like that. I'll just pull over and pop one of those. uh, Have you ever gotten a call? I'm so curious. No. No. (laughs) So I guess you have to... um it's a numbers game. Yeah, you have to see how many you're doing mm-hmm. in order, like, how many you have to do. You have to do 100 before you get, like, maybe one call or, like, right. 300 before you ever get one call. But it is. Um, I was just curious if yeah. you've ever gotten a call off of it. No, but it's, I have it's, a, we have a house in Pembroke that I think I want to do that, too. I won't say where. You should, I mean, they're they're incredibly cheap. Yeah. And you can buy, like I said, like a couple hundred. Good return on yeah. investment. Yeah. Throw, sure. yep. throw them in your car, your truck, and as you're driving around, be like, eh. I guess I'll hop out and take, never take the 30 seconds to go put this on the doorknob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then that kind of goes into like the driving for dollars, which mm-hmm. is another way to find a deal. If yeah. you're looking for a property, looking for something that needs some love and then talking with a lender about a construction loan on how you can improve it, add value, and then maybe even capture some equity on the refi down the road. Um, for especially first time home buyer, it sounds complicated, but if you ha- if you work with the right people, real estate agent and a, and a lender and a good attorney, you can usually figure it out together and a good contractor if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but it's it's attainable. So that kind of um, something that uh, Christian had said earlier was, um, oh my gosh, I'm losing my train of thought. But I, I was just thinking about building the same type of real estate team. If you're going through a real estate professional to find these deals, you still potentially need a lender mm-hmm. or yep. need somebody who is connected for hard money lending in mm-hmm. some way shape or form you need the same type of real estate professionals that you would throughout any re- normal resale it's just a completely different ball game right so yeah. it, it's like my expertise i just say my expertise is resale and new construction i have mm-hmm. that all day long real estate investing wise i usually go so people people who have um investment properties i go sharon sam can you like help me out here i don't know i don't just don't know it as well mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's a lot to know. Sorry, I get overwhelmed. <laughs> um, and I guess the only other thing I'd add to that is, uh, like, obviously invest time, like we were saying, with all these different types of people and, and talk to people. But you have online tools you can use as well, such as, like, uh, if you work with a realtor, they'll usually connect you to MLS. Um, you get third-party sites like Zillow, Realtor.com. <clears throat> Uh, you can drive for dollar, which is not an online tool, but you can still drive around and look for property. And then there's. Can you explain what driving for dollars is, just to make sure that everybody understands what you're actually doing? Driving for dollars is literally just driving around neighborhoods looking for the house that sticks out in the neighborhood, the one that needs updates. The Being grass the is high. There's a there's a car in the driveway that's been there for 25 years, yeah. hasn't moved. Uh, a property like that, and you jot down the the address, and then you do your due diligence due diligence, excuse me, and try and figure out who the owners are and how to get in touch with them, basically. And that's driving for dollars. So you're driving around in the hopes of finding a deal that you can secure, and then that creates your dollars. Okay, I just want for a clarity standpoint. Yeah. No, no problem. And the other thing was uh, biggerpockets.com uh, is a really good source for any kind of information on this kind of stuff. Um, and they also have uh, some offline uh, properties available there as well. So it's a website and a podcast? Yeah, mm-hmm. and a YouTube channel, the, the whole media. Bigger Pockets, yeah. okay. Yep. All right. Cool. So we're finding the property. We know why we want to buy the property. We're finding the property, right? Now, we found the property. So what what route do we want to go down here? Because I feel like there's so many that we can. We found the three family. The first time we're stick we're sticking with the first time home buyer. We found the three family. What am I going to do as my as a first time home buyer in order to get myself positioned to purchase that property? And what makes it worth it for me? Yeah. I, I mean, I, if you don't mind. Um, you got it. I always... You guys I al- are so polite. Me, <laughs> when me, Sharon, and Melissa are here, we're, we're like 90% of the time clamoring over each other edgewise, being like, right. uh, 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 come on. Okay, anyways. So right off the bat, um, I know this rule might be kind of tough in, uh, in our area, but right off the bat, I go to the 1% rule. Um, and 1%, um, let me back up. The reason why I use this is because, again long-term investor holding these properties for 30 plus years, not looking to flip or anything like that, Um, you know, renting out for the long term. So that's why I go with this 1% rule. Um, And it's a simple calculation that you can do in your head um, where essentially the property needs to rent out for 1% of the purchase price or however much money you have into it per month. So for example, uh, we'll use an easy example here. Let's say you're buying a home for $100,000. That home or that property should rent out for $1,000 a month. That's not a hard and fast rule. Again, it's very difficult to find up here, but that's at least a baseline where if I'm if I'm looking at a property um, and it comes close to the 1% rule or it meets the 1% rule, that is the trigger for me to go in and do a deep dive analysis of the property. That's interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. So that actually makes perfect sense to me to... You haven't explained that to me that way. Thanks, Christian, for clarifying. Um, but it, no, it makes perfect sense. So that's not hard math. You know, if you can make at least a little bit of a profit or 1% of what you're purchasing it for. Okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. And that goes with renovation too. So let's say, uh, again, we're going to use easy numbers, but uh, let's say you're buying a property for 200000 and you have to put $100,000 into the property. Mm-hmm. So you're into the property for three hundred. Yep. That property should rent out for three, per, uh, excuse me, for three grand a month. 
Gotcha. So it goes with, you know, improvements and things like that as well. Because I typically don't buy beautiful properties. <laughs> <laughs> and Do that, we ever. that goes back to the value add, right? And mm-hmm. that's really important, I think, for especially first time uh, investor, you know, is, is trying to find something that you can add some value to, um, whether it just yeah. be updating the kitchen, updating the bathrooms, uh, turning in some attic space that can be converted into living space, basement space, same mm-hmm. thing, uh, garage, like utilizing that, renting out your garage space separately, it can, can provide additional cash flow. So things like that. Um, That's kind of like getting creative. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that that hits when you're talking about the one percent rule um, that goes along and hits appreciation. If you're renov and for the renovations, if you're talking about renovating a property, you're also getting that appreciating appreciating asset from the investment property. Mm-hmm. Not only getting the income essential or the cash flow, but you're also getting appreciation from it. So you're hitting two right. of your benefits. Mm-hmm. Right. I, yeah. I, and I guess just to kind of piggyback on that, so we, we talked about the 1% rule. Um, if a property comes even close to meeting the 1% rule, like we said, that's when, that's when you know, I'll typically do a more, uh, a deeper analysis of the property. So that's when, of course, I whip out the spreadsheet. Yeah, you, um, got, you guys in your spreadsheet. You need one. You, you need a spreadsheet. Sam showed me your spreadsheet earlier, which, guys, you can't see it. Um, and we are on Facebook Live here and on all of the Connect channels as well. You can't see it here, but it is very, very detailed. Well, and in this my is opinion. the thing. This probably isn't even Christians. This is probably just like a sample. This, Did you have or a more this, in depth one? Well, this is actually this is actually a real one from uh, our property in Attleboro. Oh, okay, all right. Because I was just lazy, lazy, so I just took a snapshot. <laughs> God, God. I feel yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Why, that's real life, right? <laughs> um, so go over maybe some of the things to consider within your deep dive. So you're talking about analyzing the property, what makes it worth it to mm-hmm. invest in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's two things you need to worry about, right? Income versus expenses. Again, we talked that supply I, demand. Yeah, exactly. We talked that I don't really, I don't really look at appreciation or tax benefits. That's kind of um, icing on the cake. But uh, I'm looking at income versus expenses. So again, mm-hmm. if if I if I found a property that has met this one percent rule, I'll do a deeper dive. I'll do a 12 month analysis of the property, right? So I'll start putting in the income. Um, what are the current rents? And what do I think is the fair market rent for yep. those units or for that property? Um, it'll shoot out an annual figure. Uh, for, for, for our example here, it's $56,300 uh, in annual um, income. And then I do a breakdown of all the expenses. Uh, a, big, a big thing here is, is, you know, if you talk to your lender or something, you say, oh, like my mortgage payment's going to be $2,800 a month. And the rent that I'll be collecting is $3,500 a month. This is great. I'm going to make $700 a month. This is awesome. That is not a deep dive analysis of that property. Um, Of course, you've got to think about, you know, your principal and interest. So what your, you know, your loan payment, you're paying back the loan, Uh, real estate taxes, homeowners insurance, uh, water, sewer, garbage. Are you paying those? Are you um, pushing those off to the tenants? Um, Snow plowing, that can be a big one in in years. Um, And then... um, Let's see, landscaping, and then a property management company. Are you going to manage it yourself? Are you going to uh, hire a property management company? Because that could be 7%, 10%, 5% um, of the gross monthly rents uh, per month. So these things really start to add up. Um, As a general rule of thumb, so we've got here in the spreadsheet, we've got, uh, so for example, garage door repair, landscaping, pest control, uh, cleaning, cleaning. 
these are all you know things I had to deal with in 2022 for this particular property. As a general rule of thumb, yeah, we I got just, all the numbers here. Yeah, exactly. I just lump those all together as 10%. Okay. Right. So I right off the bat, I'm taking 10% off that gross monthly rent uh, to deal with things like. You and know, you're putting it aside in case these things come up. 100%. So you don't necessarily want to be going into pocket for this stuff. You want the rents that you're currently getting to be able to cover it. Exactly. And if you're the first time home buyer, so now I'm just thinking of this three family, I'm the first time home buyer. It behooves me to live in one of those units, correct? So if I'm rather than doing a, being a first time home buyer and purchasing an investment property, mm-hmm. in because that's there's that's one scenario. But then you can be a first time home buyer purchasing in it what a multifamily and mm-hmm. being owner occupied, right? Right. So you're all, if I'm purchasing the three family, I'm only getting two rents, right? And I'm and I'm living in one. So. And that, and that's all things you want to factor in there too. Yeah. And you can definitely run into the trick of oh the numbers the numbers don't look good right here but maybe I maybe I just bump the rent up a little bit and you know we're not going to have as much snow this year I don't think so I'm going to bump the snow plowing don't fall into that trap. Well, that should is you a bad be accounting idea. for some vacancy? Great question. Yeah. So again, I use ten percent as a vacancy factor as well. Okay. I can tell you. I have never had a, especially in this market, I've never had a unit vacant for more than 15 days. It Music is ridiculous. to my ears, yeah. Christian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. But um, you still want to factor in that, that 10% va- uh, vacancy factor because okay. who knows, you know, especially with the next year to come, uh, if the market does take a turn for the worse, most of the economy. You know, you want to be able to, you want to factor in your vacancy factor. So you're, so you're thinking about 10% for incidental repairs mm-hmm. potentially and 10% for vacancy. Yep. And then I also do a 10% for uh, basically capital expenditures. Okay. So you want to put away a chunk of, uh, of that gross monthly income for big ticket items, such as a brand new roof, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, water heaters going. So that's kind of your savings account, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're thinking about it in that sense. Savings account for that specific property if anything comes up, just like you would any other property. Absolutely. Cool. So is it safe to say you do 20% on, you take away 20% on every single check that comes in from every single tenant? Yes. So, yeah, so yes and no. I mean, I'm, I'm a, obviously I'm a mortgage you, lender. But so. you're also experienced. So it's, right. you, so we, you have we, more than one investment property yes, at this yes. point. Yes. Um, so essentially for those capital expenditures and things like that, uh, we do have a home equity line of credit. So it's just like it sounds, just a line of credit um, that we continually pay down. And if there were a big ticket item, such as a roof or something like that, then we'll draw from that HELOC, okay. that home equity line of credit to pay for that. Um, but we are taking all those, all the proceeds from the income and continuing to pay down that HELOC, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So that's you, at that point you own more than one property and you've Mm -hmm. pulled the equity line. Um, um, so again, just real quick, you are listening to talk real estate round table. I am Mary Baker. My co-hosts tonight are Samuel Horton and we have our guest in studio, Christian Carter. So that we are talking everything about finding, analyzing, and securing your first investment property. If you guys have any questions, feel free to call in to George at the studio. The number is 781-837-4900, or you can always interact with us on Facebook Live as well. Okay, sorry, just had to do that little plug. Also, Sharon and Melissa gave me the reins tonight, so everybody tell them I did a really good job. They're probably at home listening. <laughs> I think okay. we're doing great. I think yeah. we're doing fine. Yeah. Um, so... We're analyzing, deep diving, 
So yes, the deep the deep dive is a little scary. Seventy percent at all, or because I know you probably deal with more flippers than I do. Seventy seventy percent rule is basically that a rehabber or a flipper shouldn't pay more than seventy percent of the after repair value, and the after repair value is what you think the house will sell for once you make all those value add repairs, right? So you find a dilapidated house. You buy it at hopefully below fair market value Mm -hmm. uh, so you can match that 70% rule. And that way you can capture um, a slight gain at the end of it if you kind of follow this rule. And again, it's kind of similar to the 1% rule. It doesn't always apply to every single scenario, but it is a good calculator to kind of get a rough idea of um, what you're going to see from in terms of a profit on a flip property. did I do a good job of that? Nailed it. Okay. All right. I'm doing social media. <laughs> you guys take it from here. Um, you want to talk about the gross rent multiplier? You probably have to do this with like non-QM loans and stuff I'm, like I'm that. Not, I'm not big on the gross rent multiplier. Okay. I, use, I use a lot more 1%. And then um, if I am doing like a value add, I'll definitely look at the 70% rule. Yep. But I'm, not, I'm just not big on the gross rent multiplier. Bigger... Bigger advocate of 1%, yeah. to be honest. So all different rules of thumb as to how to determine if a deal is a good investment for specifically what you're looking for. So it seems like there's different facets that you can take depending on what you're mm-hmm. doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like there's no one size fits all. That's what I think that's what confuses my brain is like you could look at it from this perspective, you could kind of look at it from this perspective, or... I don't, it's just very overwhelming. Well, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of choice. There's a lot of options. Like we were saying earlier, you can get into commercial, residential. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do, you know, even like if you break those down, you have single families, multifamilies, large multifamilies. You have like on the commercial side, retail and mm-hmm. industrial, um, you know, and it's it's kind of crazy when you think of all of your options, when you think of how much real estate there is out there. Um, and it's really just picking an area you're comfortable with and then following some of these steps maybe yeah. um, and reaching out to professionals that have at least done it before, whether it's going to a, a meetup or something like that and talking to people that have, have done it before, that always helps. I and Sorry. No, no, go. I, I think you, you bring up a great point. Um, going to some of these meetups or talking to like, you know, realtors, lenders, just talking with real estate professionals or investors themselves, um, I feel like a lot of people are torn between do I want to buy and hold, meaning do I want to buy a property and hold it for 30 years yeah. and be a landlord, or do I want to flip properties? Because I know flipping properties sounds cool, and it's, you know, that's what gets all the HGTV fa- shows. Fast it's money. fast cash. Yeah. Um, just get out and talk to some people, you know, because that's the big. that's probably, you know, if we had to say that there was a step one, I would probably say get out, talk to people, talk to real estate professionals, and figure out if you want to be a buy and hold investor or if you want to be a, uh, a flipper. You know, that's probably step one. I feel like the most common that I hear, well, up until, I guess, the past couple of years, um, I'd say, like, past two years, was always flipping. I want to mm-hmm. I want to flip a property. And it was a great market to actually be, even though deals were hard to come by, it was a great market to be flipping properties mm-hmm. in. The interest rates had never been so low yep. and demand had never been so high. Um, but now I feel like we're kind of turning a leaf and it's going more into a buy and hold market, which, mm-hmm. again, for somebody who's not very risk averse, is is nice. Yeah. And I Did think- you hear what I said, Sam? Just so you know. <laughs> I, think I think maybe she that said is- she wants to buy some more rental properties. <laughs> That's also probably because the, the uh, people you surround yourself with, too. Right. So even That's for, true. So for the last six years, I've heard more about buy and hold 
probably because those are the people that I've gravitated towards, you know, and, and you being a realtor, you've probably gravitated. I'm just guessing, but maybe more towards the flippers. Just guessing here. Yeah, but that's accurate, I would say. Oh, yeah. Not me. Oh. No, I haven't flipped any houses. <laughs> um, so if you've, if you've gone through everything and we've found, no, we know why we're buying. We found the house. We've analyzed what makes it a good deal. We've run all the numbers. We've done the deep dive. Now, how do we go about potentially securing that property? And that's going from like, am I jumping ahead? No, I just wanted to add one more thing to the analyzing. <clears throat> and I think it's kind of important. Um, it's to develop an exit strategy for the house. Yeah. Even if you're going to yeah. hold it for 30 years, just having a plan B or a plan C lined up um, in case something happens where you have to get rid of it or whatever. The market goes crazy and you want to capitalize that on that equity and get a bigger property or a bigger investment, whatever the case may be, it's always good to look look at your options and what you can do with that that asset after you secure it. 100% agree. 100%. So even if you're even if you're, you know, looking at flipping a property, you should still run the numbers like, hey, what if I can't get rid of this property for this purchase price? What if I had to turn this into a long-term rental? What if I had to turn it into a, a midterm rental to traveling nurses and things like that? That's really smart. Same thing with buy and hold. You know, what a, What happens if I can't rent this property? Um, how much can I sell it for in two years, five years down the road? I think you hit the nail. Nail on the head, Sam. Perfect. Now we can move on to securing, which is... Christian specialty. Securing the property. <laughs> so Sam, Sam's saying he's really good at finding the deals, right? Everybody out there, he's really good at finding them. You are and good at finding them. And Christian's really good at securing them. But again, you have more real um, investment properties than we do. That's oh, that means we only have 10 more minutes, you okay. guys. Oh, man. I know. That goes by. I told quick. you it went by quick. I said 45 minutes flies. It does. Okay, so let's... Especially when you're talking about real estate investing. Let's tell people how they're going to secure their first investment property. I thought this was going until 2 in the morning. I thought that... Oh, I, I mean, if you had seen Sam's agenda that he came downstairs <laughs> and showed me earlier, he was like, yep, so these are all my talking points for tonight. He goes, you might want to study up. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. Thanks, Sam. Um, so how would you go about securing um, this first pr house, right, depending on how you're purchasing it? Yeah. You want me to take it or yeah. you? Yeah, go right ahead. All right. So um, I guess I'll start off here. Um, so you've analyzed the numbers. And just because, let's say, the, the price that you're willing to offer yep. is lower than the listing price. I mean, you guys are realtors. You know more than me. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean, oh, man, it's listed at 400 and I can only afford to pay 390 for it. Yep. That doesn't mean you... Walk away. Walk away. Mm -mm, not today. No. Well, yeah. Not especially, today. Especially not <laughs> yeah. today. Um, yep. Hear that, everybody? Now is a great time to buy. Yes. Despite what you think. Um, so I guess I guess there's three ways you can go about it. Um, not not three ways, but um, so there's three ways to like categorize the property. Yep. It could be your primary residence, it could be a second home or a vacation home, mm -hmm. uh, or it could be an investment property. And okay. from the financing side of the house, that's the only three categories we we kind of care about. Yep. Are you going to live in it? Is it going to be your second home, or is it going to strictly be an investment property? Okay. Um, after that, you you have to either you know if you're like I said, if you have a, a healthy 401k, you've got healthy cash reserves, um, you're kind of later on in life, maybe you have a big uh, home equity line of credit on your primary residence or another property, um, you can always go the investment route and do the 25% down payment. 
um, and and kind of take that route. So that's the big difference, in my opinion, when mm-hmm. from from a real estate perspective or a real estate agent's perspective, when you're a first time home buyer and you're going to be owner occupied, what percentage do you have to put down? I mean, you can put anywhere from zero percent. Uh, with a USDA loan or a VA loan, yeah, uh, you can do a three percent conventional if you're a first-time home buyer. Uh, mass housing is often awesome for this stuff. But you, you have to live in the property. You have to live in the property. If you're not going to live in the property, it's twenty-five percent. Yes. Okay. For the most part. For the most part. Okay. So there, that I mean that that's a huge swing. When um, you're talking entry level, that's a huge swing between. Yeah. Hey, unless you really are determined that you don't want to live in the place. Yeah, and then the only other thing I would say to that is that the uh, the second home, so that comes with a ten percent uh, down payment. Okay. So I mean, if you are looking to buy, you know, if you live up here in Massachusetts, maybe want to turn into a somewhat seasonal snowbird or something, uh, and you're looking to buy a home in Florida, that doesn't mean you need to make a twenty five percent down payment. Okay, so that's the vacation home. Yep, vacation homes still come with a ten percent down payment. Sam, we got to buy a vacation home. I know, right? <laughs> I've, I've, I got a notification of uh, one today, um, <laughs> thanks to a wholesaler. Speaking of wholesalers, uh, it's in Dennisport, but I don't want to tell don't everyone be, about yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, don't be giving everything away. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. You got to come to the real estate invest in um, networking group, the yeah. investment networking group, exactly. in order to find out what the deals exactly. are. Exactly. So January nineteenth. <laughs> yep, at our office here at Boston Boston Connect Real Estate. Um, okay, so those are the three. Yeah, so those and those are those are kind of the three cookie cutter ways, right? So now we're ta- we're we're talking, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, conventional, yeah. you know, conventional loans here. Um, you can think outside the box a little bit. You can always go to a commercial lender. Um, I will say commercial lenders vary greatly, um, in as far as their terms and their rates and their things like and things like that. Uh, some, com- you know, one commercial lender might give you a fifteen year term at six percent interest rate. Where the other one is a 25-year term, you know, at a 5% interest rate. So okay. commercial loans can vary um, quite a bit. Um, they can also kind of change their terms in the middle of your transaction, too, just to be yes. aware. Yeah. That's happened to me. That's why mm-hmm. I mention it because it's yep. kind of like they, they have a little bit more uh, flexibility with what they can do with the terms and conditions of the loan before you actually close on it. Yes. In case you do this go is, that road. This is why I talk to people, TTP? TTP. TTP. That's why we do that. Yeah, so that, that's a great point, too. With commercial loans, you know, the rate and everything like that is actually kind of set by the underwriter at the end of the loan process. Interesting. Um, as opposed to, like, your, you know, your more residential um, your more residential loans where it's kind of set up front with the loan officer, right? And you lock in your rate and things yeah. like that. Um, you're not locking in your terms with a commercial loan until you're until you're at the closing table pretty much okay i mean you know every commercial loan that i've got you know a week out that might be for the experienced investor maybe (laughs) that might that might not be the first one um and then some other some other uh what is that the five minute mark yeah um some some other interesting uh things to be aware of i'll just talk about hard money and private money okay um hard money don't let it scare you but um, you it's know, not a guy with a baseball it's bat. It's not a guy with a baseball bat who's going <laughs> to so break your legs. There's no bookie. There's no it's not, bookie. It's not a bookie. Okay. <laughs> From my experience. Also, okay. also mine. Yeah. <laughs> I have um, no experience. Yeah. So hard hard money lenders uh, they can typically close you know five to seven days. It's which really is, common in the city. Yeah. Which really is, really mean, common at least. It, but you I've must seen. you guys must love a seven day close as realtors. I mean that's. I wouldn't complain about it. Right. <laughs> so hard money lenders um, they can close pretty quickly. Again, their terms and things are very, they, they vary greatly uh, mm-hmm. between hard money lenders. Just don't be surprised if you get a quote of 11%. Yep. 
Um, like I got back back in April 2022. Okay. Because um, it's just think of it as a short-term loan. It's a way for you to secure the property. Um, secure it quickly. Secure it quickly. Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully at a really good price. And then, you know, you're in that loan for, you know, usually six six months. And then you just refinance out into a commercial or a conventional loan or things like that. Okay. Um, I feel like especially a lot of first-time home buyers, they'll balk when they hear uh, an 11% interest rate. But if you're getting, you know, a $330,000 property for $220,000, who cares if you're paying 11% for six months? Right. You know? Well, you're fixing it up and then adding the value to it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, another one here. I know we're running out of time, but another one is uh, always private money. You can, you know, not necessarily like family and friends, but, you know, maybe someone you know uh, has a lot of money that is... Who's looking to who's invest in... Exactly. Yeah. Passively. Like, they don't want to be involved with the day-to-day, and that's where you can kind of come in, use their money, mm-hmm. and uh, make it mutually beneficial to both parties, where you manage the asset, you find it, analyze it, secure it, and then use their money and pay them back a percentage of that money. Awesome. Absolutely. Maybe they're getting 8% in the stock market, and you can give them 95 or 10% right. for six months. That's what Sam's been telling me for a while. He, he has. He's like, private money's the way to go. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, sure. Um, any others? And then another great one is uh, seller financing. So okay. I, th- I think, I think yeah. seller financing just needs to be sold the right way, um, especially, you know, if, if there's, if, there's if, you've, if you eventually find like a, you know, maybe an, an older couple who has a number of rental properties, they've loved the passive income for the past 30 years, but they kind of want to cash out and, um, and and get rid of the properties because they're sick and tired of managing them, right? Okay. But they've been used to that mailbox money for the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. So essentially what seller financing is, is let's say Sam has owned a property for the past 30 years. He's got it paid off or whatever. And then I come to Sam and say, hey, I'd like to buy your property. Um, instead of me taking out a loan from the bank, I'll take out a loan from Sam. So let's say I pay Sam $3,000 uh, every month for the next 30 years until I've paid back Sam the price of the home. So the asset is the loan, mm-hmm. but the asset being the property is essentially the loan in that case, and you're paying it like you would any other mortgage. Correct, and exactly. then the seller avoids the, the, seller. the taxes there because they're not taking a lump sum. They're getting paid monthly, so they actually have tax benefits there. Um, and then they can also, if if... Christian stops paying me year 25, I can go back and still seize that property from him and take it back, and now it's mine again. So he could have paid me for 25 years, and now it's it's mine again, and I made all of that money in that in that span. It's a, it's a really that great- actually doesn't sound as scary to me because I was you said um, seller financing has to be sold right, but I always had been a little bit scared of it. So that's interesting to hear. Well, great show, you guys. Thank you for coming on with me and talking real estate investing. Um, If you guys have any questions, we will be able to get you in touch with Sam and Christian. You can just follow us on Facebook and or um, go to bostonconnect.com or listen to any of our podcasts, our Talk Real Estate Roundtable. Thank you. Thanks, you you guys. This was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Had a blast. Thanks for joining. It was awesome. (laughs)